Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 47 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Why is the issue of slavery such a difficult topic to talk about? What don't we know about the origins of slavery and how the first slaves arrived in Kentucky? What are researchers and historians discovering about the relatives of indentured people at Ashland? Kentuckians Henry Clay's Lexington Home. Today on the podcast, our guests are Executive Director of Ashland Jim Clark and Cameron Walpole, Manager of Tours and Education at Ashland. To our Think Humanities podcast microphones, welcome to Jim and Cameron. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Jim, um, am I uh, incorrect, uh, or if I just ask you the question, is slavery a difficult topic to discuss today, how would you respond? Uh, it is, but not talking about it doesn't make it any less easy. Um, so we're, um, we've decided that the best way to deal with this topic is to face it head on and to share whatever information we have um, and ask the public to share what information they might have. Because um, we know a lot of people are doing research, some people just on their own particular families, and then other people like Yvonne Giles have been collecting oral histories for years. Who is Yvonne Giles, for those listeners who don't know of her? She is a local historian um, who has um, probably been on her own collecting the history of black Lexingtonians and Kentuckians um, and has inspired a great many people. But uh, she has been working tirelessly to um, gather what information she can. Um, and that's one of the um, uh, more sensitive issues is, you know, that there's the history that is told by those who are famous and people gather information, but even some other famous people are left out because somehow they're edited out of history. But when you have people that are uh, enslaved or in the servant class, they're definitely not going to have a recorded history except by what family members have kept um, or incidental uh, reports that have come, you know, in the newspapers or whatever. So it's it's a bit of uh, forensic uh, historical research to pull this information together. Uh, Cameron, you said, um, uh, stated in an, uh, by the way, an excellent newspaper piece by Herald Leader columnist Linda Blackford about the initiative that you have at Ashland. We hope to discover more stories that have been passed down through the generations of families. Those uh, or these connections will help inform our narrative, providing insight and nuance into the lives of those African Americans enslaved or employed at Ashland. So tell me about the initiative at Ashland. So this initiative is something that um, Ashland staff have been working on for a number of years, gathering research on African Americans um, who lived and were forced into labor at Ashland. Um, so we're talking not just about the enslaved population, but, by, uh, but also about the employed uh, African Americans, like the Hummins family, who were employed by the McDowells. 
So this initiative um, we kind of kicked off last year because we got a grant from the local uh, history trust fund that's administered through KHS, the Kentucky Historical Society. And with that grant, we were able to start looking into creating an African-American history focused tour. So um, in addition to that, we'll also be revamping our um, signature Ashland tour so that we're, you know, telling the stories of the African-Americans who were enslaved, kind of giving a more full picture of life at Ashland, not just for the Clay family, but also those men and women and children um, who lived at Ashland. So um, in addition to these two tours, we're also going to be looking at, um, you know, ways to memorialize through public art. Um, that's definitely Jim's background, so um, that's going to be an interesting project for sure. We're also looking to create uh, educational resources because, you know, a museum, it's great, uh, but a lot of people can't make it to a museum. So we, we're going to be working with teachers, we're going to be creating lesson plans and web resources for people who are doing their own genealogy um, and uh, people who just want to know more about, about the history of, of Kentucky. You both are certainly aware of um, what's going on around the, the nation uh, in, in regard to maybe some historical um, places changing the way they approach this, this particular subject. Some started a long time ago, uh, others are just now getting into it. Um, what, is that true, and, and why is that at this particular time? Uh, to both of you, uh, I'll ask that question. Cameron? Well, I will say that you know, for other museums who are looking to do similar uh, research or launch new programs, it's never too late. Um, we have been working on it for a number of years, but it's been kind of behind the scenes. We're just now at a point where we're able to you know, kind of un unfurl this to the public, um, ask for feedback for the public so that we can really move beyond the archives and get into the real stories of people who were, um, you know, Lexingtonians today and all of the um, family histories that, that they have. Um, yeah. And I think there's um, a social political context that has awakened people. Um, I think um, people are seeing that the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Acts um, are um, can be easily challenged and um, um, disregarded. Um, so that's the importance of knowing history. Um, it, it you know because when Henry um, was active in American politics, it was about issues of states' rights and the role of the federal government. And he was a true believer in the role of the federal government to accomplish the greater good for the nation. And now you have um, rather belligerent uh, state rights activists that are trying to undo these things. So I think it's raised a lot of sensitivity to um, how we are connecting with one another and the racial issues that um, um, have not been resolved just because we had a black president does not mean that we are now free and clear of, of this. and. Um, We've also seen other historic properties address this issue, uh, like Montpelier, James Madison's home, um, as well as Mount Vernon. Um, some have had um, varying degrees of success in how they reached out to the community or did not reach out to the community. Um, so we're, um, we're learning from those 
Um, but also I think it's important for us to be uh, working with the groups that are here in Lexington and Kentucky that are exploring this because what we want to be able to do is tell Ashland's story and connect it to whatever else is going on. We're not here to try and um, tell Kentucky's story in terms of the enslaved. Um, and I think it, that um, is, for us, is helping us to build these bridges out into the community to, so people can see a fuller picture. I'm talking with uh, Jim Clark, uh, the executive director of uh, Ashland, Henry Clay's home, and uh, Cameron Walpole, who is the uh, the full title. Uh, Cameron, let me give that to you again. Um, what is your title again? It is Manager of Tours and Education. There you go. And you're uh, primarily, uh, are you responsible for putting all this together in Lexington? Uh, well, um, I'm Along working, with the team. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm working with a great team. Yeah. Um, and we also have a fabulous core of volunteers who... Um, are in the process of training to do this. So we're also looking for new volunteers mm -hmm. to come and contribute to this. But um, this, you know, kind of what Jim was saying, this history is, has never been more relevant. Um, and historic places have a mandate to tell these stories. Um, we have uh, a responsibility to our community to tell a, a full and accurate picture of the history of Ashland. Um, not just uh, the people who were enslaved by Henry Clay, but Henry Clay's own views on slavery um, are important to explore as well. Um, so we're just we're trying to do our best and, and get it right. Um, so it's it's definitely a process, um, but it has been a really interesting one. We had a, an event with um, people from Lexington um, this past weekend where we had a, a really meaningful conversation um, about the interpretation of slavery and what it can do for a community. And I think the thing that came out over and over in our conversation was the need for educational resources mm -hmm. and to start this education um, early. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, museums like Ashland, have an opportunity to fill in the gaps where schools can't always, um, you know, can always cover. Uh, due to logistics or state standardized testing, that sort of thing. But we have an opportunity um, to do outreach in the community and you know let people learn about about their roots. So um, yeah, we're mm -hmm. we're in a good position to do that. I want to talk more about uh, the public art uh, aspect of this and and uh, more about what you just said, Cameron. But I first want to um, bring in uh, the 1619 uh, project. Um, and it seems like that at a time when the, there is such a focus on that and how that has been, uh, is being used as an educational, historical uh, revival of, of that. And um, do you think that the 1619 Project uh, and what little I've heard of it and read of it so far, the New York Times did a, 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 a quite a, a lengthy dedicating the magazine and uh, the newspaper uh, section uh, to it a couple of weeks ago. I understand that it's even hard to get uh, um, a copy of that uh, at this point. Um, but do you think the, the attention on the 1619 project in some way, uh, when, when you go 200 years uh, beyond that, sort of uh, allows you to focus in a more meaningful way, uh, uh, about what happened here in our own backyard? Absolutely. This, um, what the 1619 Project is doing is it's sparking a cultural awakening. You know, we're, 
we were really realizing the relevance of of this history um and you know it's lasting relevance this isn't just kind of like oh you know this is our our history it's good to know where we came from no we have we're seeing real ramifications um in our civic life and that's why historic sites are so important because we are able to really delve into that history um, and that's what the african-american histories tour is going to do it's it's a deeper dive into this history and Previously, Cameron had used the word relevance, um, and that is a, a challenge for all historic um, properties. Um, we don't want to be um, a quiet little park where you come and relive the past. That's not um, why we're here. Uh, we are here to promote the legacy of Henry Clay, who was an incredible leader. Um, and also, um, from our perspective now, uh, rather flawed in his views on slavery. But it's that um, sort of messiness of being human and political that makes Henry interesting because prior to being a politician, he wrote as an abolitionist under an assumed name. Um, and then um, he had this view of slavery from um, a very high level in D.C. of um, sort of this macro view of it and trying to slow down the spread of slavery to balance free states from slave states um, as the nation grew. Um, but then because of his farm, he had slaves. He bought slaves in order to uh, have a prosperous farm. Um, and then that is that sort of attitude was visited upon his son, James, who, when he was in Europe as an ambassador to Portugal, uh, was anti-slavery. Um, and then in uh, correspondence, as, as uh, James was getting ready to come back to Kentucky, Henry said, don't even think of running this farm unless you're going to keep the slaves. Mm -hmm. And so James became a slaveholder and also a confederate. So hmm. um, it's, it's sort of interesting how the actual farm and farming plays this sort of microeconomic role in their thinking of um, how do they get the most out of the land, and it's using slaves, but at a very higher level, um, at one time they were against it. What drove uh, James to the Confederacy? Um, well, the, the Clay family was like other uh, Kentucky families, split. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I think it was the, well, Again, it was an issue of states' rights, of not being told mm -hmm. what they could do. And, and, um, and I, also, I also think there was a tremendous fear of the, the change in the economy from um, the agrarian um, lifestyle of the South versus the industrialization of the North, um, and that they didn't have those options in terms of um, getting labor any cheaper than they could. And certainly, mechanism of the mechanization of farms was not going on back then. So, if you had a hemp farm, you had slaves. Cameron, uh, what what does uh, your study of history tell you about any family, any white family uh, of European descent uh, uh, settling in a new America uh, in in whatever century beyond uh, the first arrival of of the slaves that we'd already talked about in, in the 1600s. 
What white family of some influence uh, did not have slaves? That's a that's a really good question, um, and you know I don't, I'm not sure I know the answer to it, but I know that Henry Clay's um, mentor, George Wythe, was someone who was against slavery. So he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He um, was also a mentor to Thomas Jefferson. Um, so we know that these ideas were there. You know, um, often we're faced with this myth that um, people didn't have choices, and um, that's one thing that we want to try to confront. Henry Clay, like Jim was mentioning, he wrote under the pen name Scaviola, um, and that that um, was all of his writings against slavery. Um, so he, we know that he he cognitively had. Um, you know, an understanding mm-hmm. that slavery was bad. He later called it a necessary evil. I'm using that in quotes. Um, but, um, yeah, it's he, he had choices, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing we want students to always understand, too, that history isn't inevitable. People don't just get swept up in it, but they make choices. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I'm not sure I answered it exactly yes, you did. how you... <laughs> yes, you did, because, I, you know, the other answer might be that there were very few. Very, yeah, uh, very few. Uh, but, but there's also a way, and I've learned this through the first 1619 uh, Project mm-hmm. podcast uh, from the New York Times, is that, uh, and I think they used Jefferson at the time, mm-hmm. uh, even though the founders, uh, many if I don't know if all, I mean, that would be interesting to, to, to know if they fell into one of these two categories, but the founders... Uh, were able to address at that time indentured or or, or slavery in a way uh, in writing of first of all the Declaration and then then the Constitution, sort of carving out that that you know slavery was to be banned and and was not to be tolerated. Yet they were slaveholders themselves as they were pinning uh, the words. So uh, that's sort of what, uh, Jim, you're referring to when you talk about the, the, the messy part of Henry Clay mm-hmm. and, and slavery. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, I think it's um, when we look at that time period when Clay and Calhoun and Webster um, were basically the, the great triumvirate that um, were trying to hold the Union together, um, I think it's, it's, it's a shifting world, and, and I think that their worldviews were being challenged. Um, and, and I also think one thing that people overlook is that, um, you know, the contextual argument of, you know, the economic factors is one thing, but then the other factor, when many people back in to the beginning of this country and when slaves were first brought here thought they were creatures without souls. So they're not the same. Um, they were, the, the idea of them becoming a property was a very easy one um, because they weren't the same. They were not in the same human um, structure as the Europeans. So um, I think that's where it made it a whole lot easier for people to um, treat them in that manner of enslaving them and separating families and selling children, young children off. Um, But also I think it was perhaps their mental defense, um, knowing in their heart somewhere that these were humans. Um, And it took a long time before that consciousness came came to be. 
um, came to the front, and I think thanks to the Quakers and um, even our Shakers, mm-hmm. um, that probably helped raise that consciousness. Plus, also the wealthier um, white Europeans who did not own land. Um, George Wythe would have been an attorney. He probably did not. I mean, he was a, a justice. He probably was not operating a farm. So he didn't have the same economic um, interests. Um, and I think could probably stand aside and look at that and, and judge it for what it was worth. The, uh, the initiative uh, at Ashland will look at a number of different areas, uh, Cameron, which you've, you've described. Do we know when the first African-Americans uh, came to Kentucky or were at Ashland? So we have a pretty good indication that Aaron Dupuis, who was Henry Clay's body servant, he was enslaved by Henry Clay, most likely came with him um, when he came to Lexington in 1797. Um, We know that he was born in Hanover County, Virginia, which is where Henry Clay was born. Um, We're not certain of that, um, but Henry Clay, um, his father died when when Henry Clay was four years old. And that's when he inherited two enslaved people. So at the age of four, he's already dealing with this um, this issue, um, and it would be an issue that he dealt with in his personal life and his political life for the rest of of, of his time. Um, so, yeah, there wasn't. I don't think there was a point in Henry Clay's life when he made the decision to um, uh, get into slavery. He was all. It was always part of mm-hmm. his of his life, um, and you know with us talking about this, the complicated nature of slavery, the Dupuis family is an especially complicated relationship that kind of speaks to that. Um, Aaron Dupuis was a body servant of Henry Clay. He drove his coach. He attended to every need. Um, and then there was his wife, Charlotte Dupuis, who sued Henry Clay for her freedom. Um, and this is an, a family that had in um, relative terms, more privileged than some of the other people who Henry Clay enslaved. Um, That's why they were working in the house. This isn't to say that this was easier labor. Um, It was definitely more complicated, but um, this is also a family who Henry Clay, in one regard, is enslaving, and another holds a little bit more close to his heart, probably, than others. And then at the same time, he separated the family, he, he sent Lottie after she sued him for the for her freedom to Louisiana, separating her from her family for a number of years. Um, he eventually did bring her back and he emancipated her. But he also sold um, their grandson, Charlotte and Aaron's grandson, um, away. So we've got these really, really complicated relationships that we're trying to make sense of and we always get questions from students on how, how do you make sense of this and you know we can offer very little in terms of that it's a it's a it's a heart thing you know Mm -hmm. that kids are having to 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 grapple with but it's an important thing that they're having to grapple with what do you think these students can learn from that story and and other stories that you will be relating to them uh, at Ashland that's a great question Um, students are going to learn about um, resilience um, and resistance so Charlotte Dupuis is an excellent example of um, an enslaved woman who went beyond what she was 
seemingly capable of and sued Henry Clay for her freedom. And let me just interrupt yeah. and, and say um, uh, that uh, Charlotte Dupuis, uh, Elizabeth Lawson in real yes. life is one of our wonderful Chautauqua uh, characters, and I would imagine that she's going to be <laughs> called upon even more to tell her story, and she does it in such an excellent way. And it's a story that so many, many people, many Kentuckians have not heard and didn't and weren't aware of. And and you're telling me that there were other family members that were associated uh, through all of that. And if you just stop and, and think, uh, the first time I saw Elizabeth's, uh, Charlotte's uh, portrayal, that this was an a black woman taking on, I'm going to imagine, one of the most popular and and well-known figures of that time, Henry Clay, to the to the United States Supreme Court. Well, and he was the second most powerful man in the country because he was Secretary of State at the time, and it she's. Um, um, a real touchstone for us because of all the documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with that, we have no idea what she looked like. There is one photograph of Aaron later on in life, um, but nothing mm-hmm. on Charlotte. And But also the fact that as we learn more about this, it is the um, quintessential peeling the onion back mm-hmm. because it when I first came to Ashland, when we talked about Lottie, it was um, um, that she was brave and courageous and out there and like, oh my gosh, who would do this? Well, the more we learn about this, there was over 110 lawsuits similar to hers in Washington, D.C. at the same time. So there was this movement that was um, taking place. There was there were white attorneys that were willing to um, work with these enslaved people. and But the and this is something I think students would um, would find fascinating, is she lost her case because she was not declared a person. Hmm. It, it came down to that property cannot sue owners. Hmm. Wow. So her personhood was denied. Boy, you just denied. think about that for a minute. That's, yeah. that's, that's a real, uh, that, that's, uh, that's a tough uh, thing to g- yes. grapple with. Yeah. And the fact that it took them a year to come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a year-long court case. I mean, that... um, so back to to Ashland uh, uh, for both of you. By the way, I'm talking to um, historians, uh, executive directors, uh, um, education uh, folks from Ashland, Henry Clay's home in Lexington, where a initiative will be. What What are you calling this, Cameron? Is it? Mm-hmm. Do you have a Do you have a name yet? We don't. We're working under okay. the title African American History Tour and African American History Initiative, yeah. um, but we're we're working to develop a, a good title. Yeah, and for you're this. doing the work this year, and 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 hope to launch sometime uh, the first of next year, 2020, uh, probably in February. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jim, what is the public art aspect of this? Um, we don't know yet. Um, <laughs> we do know. Um, um, that areas in history like this where um, things are sketchy and not well-defined, that that is fertile ground for artists, um, that sometimes metaphor can hit at the truth more than a fact. Um, So uh, as we gather this information, um, we will at some point do a call for our artists, designers, architects, um, to submit ideas. Um, And I know 
part of what we would like to do is, is um, um, consecrate the ground that we know were slave quarters uh, where they were on the property. Um, so that would be one of our um, goals is could we do something with those sites? Um, because I don't think it would be helpful um, to try and reconstruct something that we don't know what it looked like. Um, there's only a couple of descriptions of the slave quarters. We know that they were brick and that we, we were told that they were well maintained. That's it. Um, who, who would tell you that? Seriously, that, I mean, uh, how would one know? It was in correspondence from visitors oh. to the estate. Mm -hmm. um, and basically they were reporting back east to the um, um, conditions of Lexington and Ashland of, you know, what a nice place this was. Um, so it's, but I think it would be, um, we'd get more out of it if through the public art it helped to raise more questions than created blunt statements. So. Cameron, what else would you like to add as we, as we close out on what your uh, best hope is for this project? Um, what you want people to learn um, and um, how anxious you are to get it started. <laughs> we're very anxious <laughs> to get it started. Um, a few things that I would say are we're still looking for people who have familial connections to Ashland. Um, and we're looking for people who want to contribute to this project, whether it's through um, helping us workshop this tour um, to get it right, whether it's um, volunteers who want to become docents to give this tour once it does launch. Um, we need your help. So, you know, it's, it's all well and good to be working on this, but we can't do it without the help of our community members. Um, and the reason that is, is because this is everyone's story. Um, this is an American story, so um, one thing that we, we kind of keep bumping into is people assuming that this is, um, you know, African-American history is, is hope, or helpful for African-Americans only, and this isn't true. This is an American story. It's something that's relevant to all of us, and it kind of gives us a good understanding of, of where, we, where we are today and how we got there. Um, so my, my goal with this is, is that we have created resources that will help um, you know our upcoming young Kentuckians learn about their past and help them inform their future. Um, whether it's um, you know community activism, voting, um, you know learning about history, we we just want kids to to really touch on this and and be involved. So. Jim, can you add uh, something uh, to that as we close out? Um, well, I think in keeping with uh, focusing on Henry Clay's legacy, um, he is one of the great statesmen uh, um, and leader. And I think if we can use this as a way to encourage young people to think about leadership, um, of looking at the complexities of um, um, the political life, um, but being able to internalize that and figure out ways that they could lead or that they could champion a cause. Um, and I think that would be a very powerful thing. Thank you both. Uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating, uh, interesting uh, project. Uh, uh, I was just out not too long ago. It's been, been a, a few weeks uh, to see the, the women of Ashland, which is separate from the, the regular tour. And, and I, I know just from being in the area, 
that uh, it seemed like to me that you, you're doing really well out there with, with people who are interested in, in Henry Clay and Ashland. I mean, the parking lot is, <laughs> is usually overflowing. And the, 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 I, I've passed this along uh, to a lot of people. Um, I think you, you did say it, uh, Jim, when you said, you know, we want them to, to think about Ashland in, in other ways than maybe they already do. It's, it's such a beautiful grounds in the sort of in the middle of the city. Uh, it's a great to sort of meditation uh, walk that one can make. But now the, the art uh, sculpture uh, that you have is phenomenal. And I've mentioned this to several people who've been to Ashland before, but haven't been recently. And, and I just think that's, that adds, uh, uh, let me just ask you very quickly, how did that come about? And, and uh, uh, how did that uh, occur? And, and it, 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 uh, it's almost, um, we have to describe it, but they're, they're enormous in, in, their, in their stature and, their, and I'm sure their meaning too. But uh, for people who have been or are going, to talk about the sculpture just for a second. Sure. Um, I've known uh, John Henry, the sculptor, for many years. Um, and he is shown throughout the world, um, but is from Lexington. Um, his father developed Arcadia Park um, yeah. uh, across from Central Baptist, and he went to UK, uh, then went on um, and was in Chicago, um, and that's where he really established his career as this heavy metal artist. Um, We're not talking and, about music. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. He's it's sort of, it's in the line of, I would say, constructivist, uh-huh. abstract, large-scale work. Um, and I thought it was odd that he had never shown here. Um, we have smaller pieces. Ann Tower used to show um, his work uh, that could fit in a building. Um, but um, so anyhow, I, but when I came to Ashland, um, um, his, his work um, made me think of clay in terms of balance because some critics have likened uh, John Henry's sculptures as giant pickup sticks that have been tossed into the air and frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, so these uh, planes of metal and, and spears of metal are sort of frozen in time um, and they can look fairly precarious, um, uh, but yet they achieve this sort of scale and balance um, that we talk about in terms of that that's like Henry's compromises. Um, mm. They're these elements that have come together to form something. Yeah. Um, and for some people, they might look threatening or uh, precarious, and to others, they look beautiful. Um, and also, the key thing is uh, John Henry um, pioneered a um, or engineered a way of connecting the pieces without visible support. So that's another mm-hmm. element to Henry Clay's um, legacy is like who knows what happened in the back rooms <laughs> to get these compromises to hold yeah. together for 30 years. Um, so that's where uh, we um, use that as a way to talk about um, Henry, but also I think just formally these pieces fit into the landscape to draw your well, eye through the property yeah. and to make you look at the landscape differently. Are they permanent? They are there for one year. Oh, really? Yeah. So wow. if you want to come take the Art and Grounds tour, yeah. um, it's at 11.15 most days of the week. So just um, go to henryclay.org for more information on okay. that tour. Wonderful. Well, thank you both uh, our friends from Ashland and, and uh, working together on some things. And um, hopefully we'll do more of that in the future. Um, 
great conversation. Uh, the African American Initiative uh, is uh, going to be unveiled officially in 2020, uh, but the art is there now, and, and so much more at Ashland too, really so much more. So thanks uh, to you both for being here. Thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 47 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.